This podcast is brought to you by Gun Owners of America, the only no-compromise gun lobby in Washington. You're listening to Pennsylvania Reloaded with your host, Dr. Val Finnell. Welcome to Episode 3 of Pennsylvania Reloaded, your best information source on what's happening in the Pennsylvania General Assembly and across the Commonwealth. My name is Dr. Val Finnell, your Pennsylvania Director for Gun Owners of America. Thanks for listening. We have a special guest interview today with Dr. Rick Saccone, but before we do that, I'd like to give you a brief update about the latest news for PA gun rights. The big news is that SB2, the constitutional amendment to restrict the governor's power to declare a state of emergency to 21 days, passed the House and will now be on the ballot for Pennsylvania voters to decide. GOA supported this legislation since gun retailers, along with local clubs and ranges, were all adversely affected by Governor Wolf's arbitrary closures. This was a much-needed check on executive power in Pennsylvania. In other news, we are up to 55 co-sponsors on Representative Bernstein's constitutional carry bill and eight on Senator Dush's companion bill. Folks, this is a record number of co-sponsors on the House bill, and it is a testimony to your action. We are still waiting on bill numbers for each of these bills, so if you haven't sent a message yet, just follow the link in the show notes to do so. Philadelphia is up to its old tricks again. As you recall, GOA was the first gun rights organization to sue the city for excessive delays in license to carry firearms processing back in October of 2020. The city started processing LTCFs again on December 7th, but some people were now beyond the statutory 45-day limit to receive their license. On top of that, the city switched to an online application system in late January, further adding to the confusion. Also, there are excessive delays in both Delaware and Chester counties. GOA's Pennsylvania legal team is considering options right now for these situations. In other legal news, a federal judge denied the City of Philadelphia's request to dismiss the Firearms Policy Coalition's case against the city's LTCF processing fiasco. The FPC case in federal court is centered on Second and Fourteenth Amendment grounds, while GOA's efforts are focused in state court and statutory law. Both actions have been highly complementary. And now, let's get on with today's show. I'd like to take a minute to introduce Dr. Rick Saccone. Rick is a former member of the PA House of Representatives in the 39th District. As a congressional candidate, his narrow race against Connor Lamb in 2018 garnered national attention. Rick is a retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, a former diplomat to North Korea, and is a well-known figure in Pennsylvania politics. He's authored 10 books, traveled to 79 countries, and is building the Constitution and Godly Heritage Center in Pennsylvania. Today, Rick is going to give us a special insider's view of the political landscape in Harrisburg. It is with great pleasure that I introduce Dr. Rick Saccone. Welcome, Rick. Oh, it's great to be on your show, Val. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, uh, you're welcome. Well, Rick, you have so many, um, so many great things in your background and your bio. But one of the things that really stands out to me is your, you know, your time in the military, and particularly your um, your time as a diplomat in North Korea. And that that was a unique situation, wasn't it? Could you tell yes. us more about that? Yes, yes. I was the um, for one year. I was the uh, the only American. Uh, living and working inside North Korea, I was on the uh, 
they had a special project uh, that started actually under the Clinton administration um, and went all the way through the Bush administration to build North Korea two 1,000 megawatt nuclear reactors that didn't generate weapons-grade plutonium in, in exchange for them shutting down their nuclear program, their military-grade program. And so this project, which went on for many, many years, it was it was delayed many, many times. But um, for one year, I was the American. There was only one American there inside the country. There was uh, several South Koreans, uh, a Japanese, and a European Union were all represented. And uh, I had the, the, the honor, really, to, to serve there. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I learned a lot about North Korea from the inside. From behind the scenes, you know, being in the military, we studied North Korea and we were the North Korea was the enemy for all those years and um, seeing it from the inside and actually getting to know North Korea and the people. It was uh, very eye opening. It, 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 you know, it um, inspired me to write two books about it. So when I came back, I wrote two books about it. One of them is called Living with the Enemy Inside North Korea. Uh, and just to try to. Uh, uh, help people to understand Korea and negotiate. I'm one of the few Americans that can say he successfully negotiated with North Koreans. And I wanted to pass those skill set, that skill set on to others so that we could do a better job of dealing with North Korea. That That's really amazing. Uh, would you consider your mission there successful? Yes. While, while I, you know, while I was there, uh, prior to me, they had, there had many, there were many problems in the program, many delays, Many offenses with the North Koreans, they were, very, they were very difficult to get along with. But for my year, we got through some really tough situations, never had any interruptions to the program, uh, including we had a couple of deaths where one of our and some of our employees actually killed some North Koreans. Uh, and we had to negotiate through that. One of them was a military man, a North Korean military man. So it was, it was very intense. Uh, normally, that would have by far shut down the program. But we were able to negotiate through that. I think because, at least in part, for the relationships I built there and the respect that we had for each other, and knowing that we would be honest and sincere with each other, and you know we would get to the bottom of things jointly without trying to cover things up and so forth. North Korean—that's very important to North Koreans. Americans don't realize that because we have such distrust for each other that we we, have, mm. we don't realize we have to build relationships. And that's what I advised President Trump to do when he first came into office. When I talked to him about. North Korea, I said, one of the things you have to do is build a relationship with Kim Jong-un. And I said, you know that. You worked in China. You know how important relationships are in East Asia. And he said, yeah, yeah, he, he understood that. And he, I think the light bulb went off. And every time I heard him say after that how he was developing a relationship with Kim Jong-un, I, I like to think in the back of my mind that I had something to do with uh, spurring that. Wow, that just that story just impresses me. Um, not very many people from the West have lived in North Korea and, and especially in the United States. And, uh, that, that's just really an impressive story. And, and thank you for sharing that. But, but you've had another transition. You went from being a military person to, to a diplomat and then a legislator. Uh, yeah. you, you spent time in, uh, the Pennsylvania legislature. Uh, you know, tell us about that. What inspired you to run for office and like, what were your, what was the time frame you were there in the Pennsylvania legislature? Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I'd been teaching political science uh, at St. Vincent College in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, for a number of years, and I saw the state of our economy. You know, Rendell was the governor at the time. Uh, we were we were headed in the wrong way. We had eight consecutive years of uh, could not pass a budget on time, and and tax increases. And I just thought, you know what? 
I'm so the, the stage is going in the wrong direction. I'm I'm teaching this stuff. I'm going to go do it. And I uh, decided to run for the state legislature in a 76 percent Democrat district uh, where the incumbent had been there for 26 years hmm. and and had uh, thought he was in line to be the next speaker of the House. And uh, nobody nobody thought we could win that race. Just really hardly. I don't think anybody gave us a, sh- a real chance to win that. Many people said, well, I'll just go ahead and run and get your name out there and maybe sometime in the future you'll win. But we um, we knocked on 18,000 doors, my wife, Young, and I. Wow. And we uh, met a lot of people and uh, we convinced a lot of people to vote for us, a lot of Democrats to vote for us. And uh, we won that that first election by like 55 votes. <laughs> and uh, it was very, very close. I could tell you some real inspiring uh, spiritual stories about that too. But we – we won that one very close. And then the, the, the Supreme Court screwed up the redistricting and made us run in the same districts again the next term. So we were supposed to be redistricted to make the, redistrict, the districts more fair. But I had to run in that same 76 percent Democrat district as a Republican. And the next term, my opponent ran, ran against me. Same guy ran against me to try to get that seat back. Mm-hmm. But I, I won again. It was another tough race, but I won it again. And after that, uh, people saw what we were doing and. After that, I won with a very high percentage of the vote. I think my last, my fourth election, I won with like 70% of the vote. So four terms. Four terms, uh, yes, from 2010 to 2018. Wow. Okay. And throughout that time, what would you consider to be your greatest accomplishment, your greatest contribution, your greatest accomplishment legislatively? Well, it, there was a number of things. I mean, I ran on bringing the Castle Doctrine to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That was one of my keynote things. And, uh, and we did the year after I was elected 2011, we passed, uh, house bill 40 and, uh, we, uh, we brought the castle doctrine to PA. So I was very proud of that. I thought to myself at that point in 2011, if I, if I do nothing else, the rest of the time I'm in my two years. And uh, and if I got out after two years and did nothing else, I will, that would have been a huge accomplishment to bring the castle doctrine, uh, to Pennsylvania. And, uh, uh, I was very proud of that. But we did a lot of other things. I fought hard to privatize the liquor stores, and we got part way on that because people wanted that. There's still a way to go, but we, we were able to bring uh, wine and, and uh, outside the uh, outside the, the, the liquor stores and the grocery stores and so forth. Um, my my uh, or It wasn't my amendment, but I fought hard for the uh, constitutional amendment on property tax. Uh, <laughs> and we, we passed that. And um, – uh, drug testing welfare recipients. I fought really, really hard to get that through. And that was a very uh, 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 race that was, or a, a debate that was uh, full of invective and people calling me racist and all those kind of things. But, you know, we got that through welfare reform, work requirements for welfare, um, shrinking the legislature, pushed very hard. We almost got it through. Uh, we wrote, voted on it several times, a constitutional amendment for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other things. We, uh, oh, I fought, I fought hard for my, my legislation to help uh, catch and prosecute child sex predators. Mm-hmm. My driver's license bill, which allowed a lot of people to go back to work, people who lost their driver's license for un, drive, un, uh, offenses unrelated to driving, I changed the law on that. Uh, uh, just simple things like getting the veteran's designation on our driver's license. I fought very hard for that. We got it on there. Many of our veterans are now enjoying that. I got getting that. Vet- I got it on mine. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, every you know a lot of people do now. And uh, getting a veteran on the civil service commission was very important. We didn't have one on there before. So we had three three person commission deciding who gets these state jobs. 
didn't have a veteran on there. Now by law, there has, one of them has to be a veteran. Um, so we had a lot of those type of things, but then there's, then there's also the other side of that coin is killing bad bills. Mm-hmm. I helped kill a lot of bad bills that the Democrats brought, including, including, uh, tax increases that the governor wanted to bring. We had six on time, no tax increase budgets. My first six years in there with no borrowing. And, uh, that was, uh, that was a major accomplishment. Most people don't, don't, um, you know, realize that much. Um, uh, Oh, and and, and 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 the pro-life area. I forgot about that. The mm-hmm. uh, you know increasing after the Gosnell uh, b- uh, debacle, we we passed the inspections on uh, on uh, abortion clinics, and you know I think uh, over 30 abortion clinics in Pennsylvania have closed, if I'm right about that last count, because they couldn't even pass a basic health inspection. Uh, so things like that. Oh, semi-automatic hunting. I brought. We were the last state. That was my bill to bring semi-automatic hunting. It was oh, actually a mental. Mm-hmm. At Gobblerville, we were the last state to allow some automatic hunting. <laughs> uh, well, Hawaii, you know, New York, Illinois—I right. can't believe it. These liberal states had it. So you have those things, and then finally you have—you know—helping people is very important. That's the other side of the job that most people don't realize. But your constituents, a lot of them have needs, and we were able to help some people in some ways that were—you uh, know—very, very interesting and and things that I'll never forget that really touch people's lives. Uh, constituent service, we call it, is is, is mm-hmm. critical. To, and yeah, we it, were able to do that. It definitely is. And uh, But you didn't stop there, Rick. And in 2018, you made an attempt to run for Congress. Now, what, what drove you to do that? Why did you um, decide to run for Congress? And you ran against Connor Lamb, and, th- and this race ga- ga- garnered national attention. You were the uh, GOA endorsed candidate. We even did a video for you uh, back in 2018. Thank um, you. Yep, you're <laughs> welcome. Uh, and and also, um, you know, it was a very close race, extremely close. So, tell us what tell us why you ran for Congress and what what your thoughts were. Um, uh, you know, and uh, when you ran against Connor Lamb, what did you learn from that experience? So I started out running for the Senate and, um, you know, I wanted to beat Bob Casey. I was the first one to announce I was running for the Senate. I was the first one out in the field. So I got an early start, uh, in February I announced and I'm running along, uh, Young and I are hitting county. We hit 50 counties. We were going to do all 67 counties and along comes, oh, I forget what it might've been August or so that, uh, Congressman Tim Murphy got caught up in a scandal with a mistress and abortion and all those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. he resigned from his office. So now that seat became open and they were going to have a special election to fill his seat. And at that point, um, I just thought that, and, and a lot of people were advising me that, you know, it's, 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 it would be easier. I don't know if easier is the right word, but it would be, it'd be better, uh, and more chance of winning in a congressional race. that only has three or four counties uh, that of people that know me in Western Pennsylvania than it is to win in 67 counties across mm-hmm. the whole state. And I thought, you know what, I, 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 and I'll still be in Congress. So I thought maybe, maybe it is, maybe that's smarter to r- jump in and run for the congressional seat as opposed to keep, you know, trying to go all, all across the state. It is, it's a big job to run statewide. It really is. Mm-hmm. If you do. So we jumped into the congressional race. We had a conferee process. I won that against, uh, two local uh, candidates. Um, and then I was set up against Connor Lamb. Well, since this was the only special election going on in the country at the time, 
Um, yeah, as you said, it garnered inter- uh, international uh, attention. We had international media. All the big national media was always and uh, and the international media got involved too. So it was it was really interesting. And President Trump, he uh, he he came out and did a rally for me, and uh, he spoke for me, and he he tweeted for me, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it was fascinating. And it came down to you know the very night. Um, of the election. We were very close. We were 90 votes apart at one point. And then as Allegheny County does, they dumped a bunch of votes in, um, I think they were absentee ballots, if I remember right, uh, late at night and, um, ended up losing that race by like 600 some votes. So very close, very close race, very, very close race. Yeah. And, and you could, we can speculate all day as to the reasons why, but what, what was your takeaway? What, what, what was the thing that you learned the most from that? What did you, what did you, what did you get from that race? How did it change Rick Saccone? Well, you know, it made me I, – I decided uh, because I was running for Congress that I wouldn't run for my reelection in my House seat. So um, it kind of changed my whole life after that because after losing that race, I was no longer going to be in the legislature. And um, I had to think about, you know, what uh, what the Lord wanted Young and I to do uh, – you know, with the, with the rest of our lives, politics was never our career. Mm-hmm. We never were career politicians. So I'd always expected that, you know, I would move on sometime. And so, you know, this was the time to move on. So, um, you know, that's what we did. And we just started doing other things and continue our traveling and writing. And I, you know, still, was still teaching at St. Vincent college and, um, impacting you young people and, and trying to also impact new conservative candidates, because I saw in the Republican party, how the, the rhino wing of the party had had taken control for for a long time and were pushing all of their candidates to the head of the line and, and edging out uh, conservative candidates. So I began to focus on how could we recruit and get conservative candidates um, to win in Pennsylvania. So that's kind of what we've been doing for the last couple of years, and we're enjoying it very much. Well, that that's great, and and. This is, let's just bring it down the brass tacks now and, and talk about your time and gun rights, since this is a Pennsylvania Reloaded is a show about the Second Amendment and Article One, Section Twenty One of our Pennsylvania Constitution. You got Castle Doctrine through, which was a major accomplishment, um, and you said that was twenty eleven, right? Yeah, twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. So here we are, twenty twenty one, and ten years, and we haven't seen really any major gun pro gun bills pass the legislature even with a republican trifecta so could you talk about that uh why do you think that is why do you think pro gun legislation is getting stalled now i understand like the situation we have now we have governor wolf who veto bill i get it but when you have all three branches of government and no pro gun legislation passes after 2011 Something in the back of my mind says something is wrong. Could you put your finger on that for us? Yeah, well, part of that is leadership. You know, leadership never really wanted to run pro-gun bills. They talked the pro-gun game to keep the Second Amendment people on their side, but they didn't really want to run those bills. Um, and and part of the other part of that reason is because the Southeast Republicans <clears throat> didn't feel like they, you know, they felt it would hurt them, their reelection efforts. And so uh, <clears throat> they worked really hard to uh, kill those bills before they even got out of committee. And we had we had more 
uh, I would say, um, left-leaning Republicans uh, in the Judiciary Committee where all those bills would go through. So they just – we didn't run them. We did run – the one bill that we did run – well, we ran uh, semi-automatic hunting, but that wasn't – that was actually uh, amended into a Matt Gobbler, a different kind of bill, air rifle bill. Uh, to pass, but we ran, we, we ran preemption, we passed preemption, but we, we, they knew uh, you can't help, but to think there was some kind of deal cut with that one, because they knew it was put into another bill that, that had, that it had nothing to do with. So we knew the Supreme court was going to throw it out because of the single subject. Right. That's exactly what they did. I wrote a letter so, to the editor about that one. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. it was a shame that, uh, we couldn't get these bills out. And I had, I had many gun uh, pro gun bills in the legislature. I mean, in fact, I had the most of any legislator. I had five at one time when I was just before I, I left the legislature. I had lots of pro gun bills that I had been trying mm-hmm. to pass for several sessions, and now, Rick, we just couldn't support. Yeah, hey, Rick, you said something um, that is very important in the last minute or so. You talked about the Southeast Pennsylvania Republicans. And it seems like the weakest link, the weakest members of the Republican uh, legislature, the Republican Party who have been elected to the, to the legislature, are actually the rudder that turns the ship. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb here to say that the Democrats don't let their weakest members turn their ship. In other words, uh, they have a few... On uh, flipping it around, they have a few conservative Democrats left, but they they don't they don't let them turn the ship. But the Republicans seem like they want to they, they they allow the weakest members of the party who are elected to office to determine the course of the party because they want to maintain their majority, et cetera, et cetera. Does that does that ring true for you? Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I think that's why that's why it's such a danger to have career politicians. They worry more about keeping their majority, keeping their seat than they do about doing what's right. And I always believe that if you did what's right, you wouldn't have to worry about keeping your seat. People would vote for you if you did what was right. But these people were more intent on fooling the public into keeping their seat than they are about actually sitting down and doing what, what is right. And that's, I think it's a huge problem in the legislature, not just in Pennsylvania, but across the country. And it's a, it's a problem in Congress. We have too many politicians that are there for the wrong reasons, <clears throat> that are that are out to preserve their own self-interest, and they're not doing. They'll do what the people want if it coincides with with their own self-interest, and then they'll then they'll be quick to talk talk about how all how they did all these things for the, that the people wanted, but they they only did them when it coincided with their self-interest and the, and their aggrandizement. So. Um, I mean, that's a huge problem with the, the type of people that we elect. And that's why it's so important that we get good conservatives of strong character uh, to run for office and get elected because we have to we have to drive out these people of weak character that are in it for the wrong reasons. Yeah, and that actually is a great segue into this. Into the next question is it's it does seem like it's very hard to find solid conservative in our case for and because of this show, pro-gun candidates. It's really difficult to find them. And when I do find conservative people or libertarian-type people who want to run for office, they I run into this problem a lot. They want to start by running for Congress or something like that, something huge. And 
Whereas the Democrats have a, a very finely developed farm system, right? They went, they, they, they vet you, 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 you run for school board, you're, you're on the, you're on the township, your township commissioner, you may be a county commissioner or something like that, or you run for the state legislature and they, they have a farm. But, but um, some of the Republican candidates that I've run into, uh, they want to start at the top. And when I try to get them to be more realistic, I say, why don't you run for city council? Why don't you run for um, mayor of your borough? And and it's like this falls on deaf ears. And it's, it's a very hard thing to overcome. Uh, but going back to the question is why is it difficult to find – there are conservative, good conservative people out there. There are great pro-gun people out there. Um, why do you think it's hard to recruit them to get them into uh, into politics and to run for office? Well, part of the reason is good. the good conservatives that we want to run are very successful people, and they don't want to leave their successful business or career, take a pay cut, and come work in the legislature. Uh, <clears throat> so – it's hard to get successful people, and that's who we want. We want successful people to come and bring their civilian skill set to the government. But you know, why would you know if you're working, you know, making half a million dollars a year and you're a successful businessman? Why would you come, you know, take a leave of absence and go for two or four years to to make eighty thousand dollars a year fighting with people in the legislature who? Half of them you don't you know like or agree with, or they're 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 seedy, or they're they're not of strong character. I mean, why would you do it? I mean, a lot of you have to really you have to really want to do it for for patriotism and for, to clean up your community to to make that kind of a choice. Your family's going to be involved in that. They're going to be saying, no, don't give up your job and go do that. And don't. And the other reason is because they'll say, why would you want to go in that and and go through all the the nastiness and the slime and the dirty lies that people tell about you. And why would you want to put you and your family through that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you're a successful person making a good living on the outside. So it, um, so we, we end up getting a lot of him painting this brush for the whole legislature, but we end up getting more people than we should that the legislature is the best job they've ever had. They really couldn't get a good job on the outside or they're in it because it's a stepping stone. They want to jump up and they think they're going to be, you know, move up to something in, in Washington later. And so that's why they do it. They're not doing it for the right reasons, as I said. Mm -hmm. That's So we have to go out and start recruiting people, good people that are willing to sacrifice because their country needs them right now. Mm -hmm. that, so to get involved. That's a hard sell, but that it takes time. But that's what we need to be doing right now is getting out and talking to these people and saying, yeah, I know, this one. I know you have this big business. Can you put it aside for right now and, and come help us fix the government and help us repair our country? And, and, and some folks aim too high to start, um, and they should start at a lower level. I mean, I think, um, I think that's another problem that I've run into. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, they don't realize um, in many cases how, how hard it is to get elected and um, uh, the work that you have to put in in many cases. Now, some seats you don't. You walk right into them. It, 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 you don't have to do much work at all. But in many of the seats, to get elected, you have to you have to do a lot of work. You have to press a lot of flesh. You have to knock on a lot of doors. You have to go to event after event after event, three, four a day, every day. Uh, meeting people, talking to people. You have to invest money and time. A lot of people don't want to do that when they have families. They, mm -hmm. they, um, they just don't want to do it. So, 
you know, I, I I think they just don't realize what it is. So they think, oh, I'll just run for Congress. All I have to do is put my name on the ballot and they all get on there and I'll show them what to do down in Washington. They don't realize until they even run for a local race and they say, wow, this is, um, you know, even run for the state legislature. I mean, that's that's a lot of work involved with that. Yep, sure and, is. And that's an eye opener for a lot of these people. They don't realize how much work it entails. And running for Congress is even even more. And running statewide, like for the Senate or governor or uh, lieutenant governor, <coughs> that's even more. I mean, you, statewide races are, you know, we got 67 counties. You got to get around. You got to talk to all these people. They want to see you. They want to hear you. Uh, many people aren't willing to make that investment once they, they think they are. Yeah, I'll just run for this. I'll be the next governor. But they they have no idea what they're getting into. Yeah, it's a. They seems like oftentimes they fall for the glamour of running for office, but they don't really want to put in the work. And 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 at, at GOA, you know, Pennsylvania GOA, you know, we get a lot of candidates, and some of them want our endorsement, others don't. But the ones that do, we have to vet them. And a part of the the vetting process that that I put them through is some some questions. I ask them. I say, you know, one of the first questions, if not the first question, I ask them is, how many doors have you knocked on? That's the first question I usually lead with. And if I hear like none or just a few, uh, I say, well, it's been a few months now. You're really not going to be successful at this, you know. And But if I hear like this year we had so many young guys out there and gals too who were actually doing the right things, knocking on the doors and, you know, they, they may not have won. But they did the right things, and that's that's important. They weren't lazy, and they were doing the work. And um, so, from our perspective at GOA, we 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 really want to have we want to have good, solid pro gun candidates, and we want to have candidates who are willing to do the work, who are willing to st- to stick up for our gun rights. And well, speaking of politics and the future and all that, Rick, you know, maybe we'll conclude with this question: Is what are your plans for the future? I know there's a lot of folks out there wondering what Rick Sacone is going to do in uh, 2022. Maybe um, are are you going to get back into politics, or do you have other designs uh, for what you'd like to do? Well, you know, I haven't ruled anything out. A lot of people have been uh, approaching me about getting back in the game, and um, you know, hoping to at some level to. Uh, restore good government <clears throat> and I uh, you know, haven't, uh, haven't said I would or that or that I wouldn't right now as you mentioned in the uh, intro that my wife and I are building this uh, Constitution and Godly Heritage Discovery Center which we hope to open in April that will help educate our people on, uh, on our godly heritage and our, our founding and our Bill of Rights and our founding heroes and uh, uh, those type of things and um, so you know we're going to work to get that done and and open it up for the public and homeschoolers and pastors and civic groups to come and, and experience and be inspired again by our founding and, and those basic principles, those virtues, those core values that, that I think need to be part of people who go into government. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've kind of lost that. So we're doing that now. And then, uh, you know, we'll see. I know I see there's a lot of people jumping into all these races now already. And I understand that. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. And if the, if that's where the Lord leads us, then uh, you know that's where we'll go. I learned a long time ago, too late in life though, to, uh, to you know go into the doors that the Lord opens, and don't try to open the door yourself. Uh, you know, if the Lord opens the door, you jump in. If it's closed and He's not telling you to open it, then mm-hmm. don't try to weigh into it. So we'll see what happens. Well, that that's great. Any parting thoughts for us? 
Um, yeah, you know, I would, I would say we really have to get out there and recruit, but we also have to convince the legislators that we have in office to, we have to change the election laws. We have to focus on campaign finance reform if we're going to ever change the way, the, the direction that we're going right now, because those two things are key. The money and the, the election, the rules are key to that the special interests use to drive these elections. And we have to we have to fight these special interests because they are running our government right now. Well, thank you very much, Rick. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thanks for listening today. Next week, we'll give you another legislative update. Remember, you can find this podcast on gunowners.org slash Pennsylvania Reloaded. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to shows. Be sure to sign up for our email list at pennsylvania.gunowners.org and follow us on Facebook and MeWe. My Twitter handle is PAGunLobbyist. Make sure to share this podcast with your pro-gun family and friends. And as always, stand up for your rights and stand fast. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Pennsylvania Reloaded with Dr. Val Finell. As a state chapter of the only no-compromise gun lobby in Washington, GOA Pennsylvania exists to protect your God-given right to keep and bear arms. To get involved in the fight for our Second Amendment, visit pennsylvania.gunowners.org.